0: Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, a podcast where I, playwright here in Fitzgerald, chat to emerging, established and experienced artists in the fields of theatre, film, television, dance and drama from Wales and beyond to find out more about their careers and to see how they've been coping during the coronavirus pandemic. Expect laughs, gossip and an insight into the careers of some of Wales's best-known creatives. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Hello and welcome to this episode of the In Lockdown With podcast. Today my guest is Derek Copley. Hi Derek, how's things? Hi
1: Kieran, I'm okay. Strange times, yes. I'm how
0: How's lockdown been for you? Not too bad. I
1: mean, missed people and mm. good things, but it was, it was. There was but I I mean the the major thing is not being able to work at all,
2: <laughs> oh, Yeah. Um, but we I'm actually
1: going tomorrow to work with Sonia Beck. We're going to do a day on Amy Dillwyn's show. So we're actually going to do a day of writing, and sorting things out with her. So that's a nice little.
0: It must be a really nice <laughs> feeling to be able to go back and feel like you're doing something after
1: so yeah, long. Yeah. The funny thing is that we've um, the hardest thing has been getting down to things. I didn't realise I needed deadlines quite mm. so much as I obviously do.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but
1: that moment when you know the tickets have been sold and you haven't got a show yet is always concentrates the mind uh. in a way that nothing else does. And just not having anything, I'm I'm working with a writer. Dave Hughes, and he said the same thing, He find, he's found it really difficult, he thought it would be easy to write with endless days of non-interruption, but he said it was much harder than he thought.
0: I think having a deadline really helps, like having that structure to build up towards, and you're, you're, you've got a goal that you're aiming for, and yeah, it, it motivates you to keep going. Yeah,
1: and, and I mean, for the Amy Dillman show, the real problem is we haven't had access to any archives. Right. So we haven't been able to go and look at her diaries anymore or do all the things I wanted to do and <laughs> how' were planning to do
0: Um I want to start where I, where I always start with these podcasts. So I want to ask you, how did you first get interested in theatre? Um, well...
1: It was a school thing really. I was in a grammar school in London and there was a very good English teacher who did the school play and an incredibly good art teacher. And Mr. Farndell, the art teacher, used to build the most amazing sets for a school play. I mean, really amazing sets. And Mr. Dobson, the English teacher, didn't do the standard school plays. We did things like Max Frisch's The um, Fire Raisers. We did a Hocknuth*, which was the representative, which was sort of like almost, you know, the first performance in Britain. Um, and we I got involved through sets and technical work. So I was mm. building a full scale size model of a Royal Navy submarine with offices above for the other scenes for morning departure and and things like that. A a rainforest set for something else. And at some point, um, the art teacher said to me, why don't you go to college and try to be a teacher? Because I never knew what I wanted to do. And I was doing A-levels, but not particularly well. And, I applied for goldsmiths who had seen I'd done some work in the school for plays and done a bit of writing with a a youth group, a youth club. And we, um, what happened was that I found my art form. They sent me along to be interviewed for the drama department. The drama department accepted me. I've never known why.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. They may have just been looking for boys to balance a group. I don't know. And so I, I trained as a primary teacher, but with drama as a main subject, and that was it.
0: <laughs> and um, what, what was that course like? Did you get a lot out of it? I
1: did. Um, a lot of it was outside the course. The course was great, and we had a really good group. Um, and it was a good course, but it was a course training teachers for drama, mm. and not... You know, there wasn't a huge amount of what one might call, you know, drama school, technical theatre training.
2: Mm-hmm. But um,
1: we did an awful lot outside, um, just got together and made drama theatre pieces. Halfway through the first year, I translated a play from Belgium and we did a Gelderode play with a friend who... Actually sorted out my French, which was pretty rudimentary, um, <laughs> and we we did Beckett and we did all sorts of things just put on in the around the edges.
0: And um, I am going to jump forward a bit because I want yeah. to talk about your time as the artistic director of Westmoreland Theatre. Um, First of all, how, how did you come to be the AD of West Glam?
1: I was there, I was working as a teacher advisor. Right. When West Glam was created as a county in 75, I think it was. And after a year, we started a drama centre and I ran the Swansea Drama Centre. There was another one from the orbit And the Swansea one... This was started by Godfrey Evans, and um, we did a Friday night group, which was very successful, had lots of people who um, stayed with us for years. And then after a year, we established the youth theatre. So I was there running the design and technical tutor side of things um, at the beginning. And then after a few years of just doing technical and design work, um, Godfrey asked me whether I'd like to direct something and another teacher advisor called Anne Morris and I directed The Oresteia So How, you start with something quite big mm.
0: <laughs> How much directing had you done up to that point?
1: Almost none <laughs> I'm not an actor which is an interesting way to start but I um, I think it, it gives my directing a different feel because I'm not one of those directors who think they can play every part I'm somebody who knows he can't play any of the parts um, mm. which is a, a slightly different way of working but it does mean that I, I think on the plus side um, I'm working on the clues the actor gives me I haven't got a preconceived idea of how that part should be played So I guess some the, actors would tell you differently but that's the difference
0: <laughs> I guess in that respect it's a more collaborative process rather than what? the Yes,
1: I think it does. I mean, I think, I mean, the first couple of productions I did and things I'd done in college where you had to create a prompt copy to hand in as part of your exam, um, everything was worked out beforehand. I mean, I almost had little models to move around, but I certainly <laughs> had little diagrams. You know, X moves there on that line and then he moves down there. Um, but as I worked, with the youth theatre, that all vanished and mm. I I very much sort of work on my feet. I'm I'm c i am i need a set and I need the space defined and I've got some very clear ideas about what I feel the whole of the play is. But I I work with the actors on what the show feels like.
0: Uh, and do you do you kind of get that feeling from reading the script a couple of times? Um, are you very kind of analytical when you're directing would you say eh?
1: yes I think I am I mean I I need I'm a very lazy reader so I don't um I don't read scripts well so I have to invent things for me so with your script that we are hoped we're going work on
0: fingers crossed.
1: So, um, um I deliberately rearranged it um reformatted it all, which means I have to go through every line to get the design, yeah. and that makes me read it, and as I'm doing that it sounds a very boring process reformatting, or but in doing that sort of process, working on the set, I gradually get a view of the whole play and an and idea of the design I mean, and of course with Shakespeare um, I, I do quite a lot of editing, and Cutting and rearranging and things. And that is, again, that process of delving into Mm. the script. But my rehearsals are quite a lot to do with why are you doing that? What does that line mean? What are you saying? There's a lot of questioning, which I think is the way I really work.
0: And jumping back to West Glam briefly, would you say your process is different, depending on whether you're working with young people or whether you're working with professional, trained actors?
1: Well, as I started with young actors, you know, both in college and when I worked with groups, um, I've, you know, I had to learn how to work with professional actors, having done an awful lot of work with young actors and people going off to college and coming back from college. Um, so I learned a lot from the students in West Glamour, I must admit, people like, you know, Russell and Michael when they came back having already worked elsewhere it was nice to work with them um I think what I do is I the difference is that when you work with young people you tend to be given a group to work with you're not doing going through an audition process Mm. and that means I have to work with who I've given when I worked for Trinity St David's and did a show with those students i had that group and i had to make the piece out of that group um i couldn't suddenly say oh actually i need another actor can i go and audition another actor and so i you work with what you've got and it's how does how can i get that actor to have a get a performance in with everybody else however bad they are (laughs) and make it and make it work as a piece which the audience you know, doesn't mm. notice the ups and downs, or if they do, they don't care because there's something else which is going on, which makes the show work. Because I think that's the director's job is to make the show work. Mm. And if I have got the talent, it's for knowing what is happening with the audience so that the audience will keep watching.
0: Yeah, and just kind of yeah, as you say, think the show work and bringing it forward, and um. You know, do you do you adapt your process? Would you say it's a different process, or do you feel it's the same as when you're working a professional? Do you treat your actors any differently? Would you
1: say? I don't think so. I think with one can't assume they've got technique. So there are quite a lot of young actors who. Work very much off. You know, I'm doing it for real. Yeah. Rather than um, coming back three days later and being able to just turn on the performance again, because they've got the technique to keep that performance fresh and alive. Um, so there's one sometimes has to build in those. Right. Let's find a way of repeating this to so you build up the fact that you're not going through it first time. The other thing, which um I think, is that I've had to learn to let the actors go a bit more with when it's professional actors. You know, it's that classic thing of yeah. don't teach a dog to you know, you know, let them have their own way of doing things. Um, and sometimes that's not what I want. But I mm. so I have to be a little bit more collaborative with professional actors rather than driving the thing forward. And I suppose. Uh, but taking it seriously and making sure
0: it works mm. is the same. And, and, and yeah, I agree with that. Because you still want to produce the best quality product that you can, um, regardless of who you're working with. Yes. Mm. And um, so, w- what do you think? I want to talk about arts education what what do you think in, in our present state now in Wales what, what do you think needs to be done what more needs to be done to improve arts education or access to the arts for young people in Wales
1: um, well, the, the interesting thing is and I, I don't know whether you picked this up but from next year there's a new curriculum
2: certainly for primary schools yeah
1: a a national curriculum for Wales which has a whole section on the expressive arts so the situation is looking up because that means every school must do expressive arts. There's a bit of me that says I'm not sure what an unexpressive art is perhaps it's painting by numbers or something um, um, so you know on one level things may change Mm. from next year onwards Um, I'm so old that we've, um, you know, we've been through several other crises, you know, back from when the first national curriculum was invented by a different set of Tories back in the past. Um, And, you know, there were things saying, you know, that the the arts got left off the first version because nobody Mm. thought about it in the meeting. And then the reason why no boys are expected to do dance is because Kenneth Baker decided that... You know, he'd never done dance in his public school and didn't see why anybody else would want to do dance as a boy. Um, So there are rumours like that. Um, I think the situation is so different that it's got to be rethought for the future. I mean, when I came to Wales um, back in 72, um, there was a whole team. I ran a team of eight advisory teachers at the end, not when I started, right. but there were eight teacher advisors working in schools, promoting, supporting teachers. We ran drama centres on Friday night and, and there was a reason for the drama centres as far as the young people were concerned. But there was also a reason for the teachers who gave up their Friday nights to come and work because they met other drama teachers and worked together. Mm. Because we, And it's the same with the other arts. They were art advisors a full music system. Now that whole system has gone. Is that... I mean I can't believe you know, it, it was ridiculous in the seventies and the eighties at the drama centre. We had over a hundred people coming on a Friday night. And I paid everybody's fares if they lived more than three miles away from the centre. Wow. <laughs> I literally counted out money at the end of the term and gave them the money for their for their bus fares. Now, you know, I can't imagine him that ever coming back.
2: Um,
1: And nor can I imagine the situation where somebody who discovers they've got a bit of a talent in their school, as you you did mm. up in uh, Slavera, how they then come out of their own little world and and test themselves against other people
0: from
1: private schools. mm. But that's different because they... They depend on you coming by
0: you paying to go there. So so for me as a young artist, there didn't seem to be like a pathway between youth art participation and moving into a more professional career in the arts. That pathway no, doesn't seem to exist. No, I, I and mean,
1: it didn't exist because West Glam was always up to the point where people went away to college. And we always... You know people moved back in for a year perhaps. yeah um you know they were still around but basically the cut off point was twenty twenty one, um and um i think that's always been a, a problem it, i think in one sense that you know i don't know how people manage that jump anymore but at least people weren't going having been told they are uh, now that you know what happens nowadays is they might be with their dance teacher who's there. they are the star within their own little dance. Mm. And then suddenly they're being expected to go back and suddenly work with 50 other people who are also at their own level rather than high or low. And that's a really, that's a big jump. Whereas when we had West Ham or we had the youth orchestras, yeah. people, people were already measuring themselves against the best in the county. Yeah. And that meant some people thought, no, this isn't for me, rather than going off into... And, of course, in those days, people got grants to go.
0: Exactly. Yeah, and and I suppose also at that time you had the TIE companies as well. You had each county with its own TIE company, which showed young people, or would inspire young people perhaps, um that they could think about developing a creative career, but it also um, gave the opportunity for young people to see more theatre, and that was yeah, and,
1: gotten... And, and also, um, I mean, we ran a scheme called Small Communities in the Arts, which was, um, we put a... It was three drama events, three art events, three music events, and we put professional artists. It was Tim Baker when he ran... not. Nanog, the company, right. but the company before that, which was confusingly known as...
0: Theatre Gosselin, Theatre, 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 Theatre Morgan, was it?
1: Yes, and... <laughs> Theatre, well, Morgan, yes. Um, and, I mean, they would go in for the arts and the drama, they would go in and run a TIE in the afternoon in the school and then do a performance in the evening for young for the, the community. Right. And, you know, so the the school, which was the heart of the community anyway, um, were doing 12 arts events in that area over the the year. And it produced some brilliant work in the 80s, um, really good work. But going back to this whole business of arts education, Mm. the other problem at the moment is that I don't think the education in colleges for education teachers of the arts is as good as it used to be people don't really understand the whole business of they don't get enough arts teaching how do i teach the arts
0: right.
1: there's no there's no questioning of why the arts are in school so the philosophy of why you're doing it isn't there i i run a scheme for school governors and teachers at the moment schools can book me and we talk about the why but there's been almost nothing in schools i actually refused to go into a couple of colleges to education because they thought Providing I did one day on teaching drama in schools, the teachers could go off to teach drama. <laughs> and, and I said, no, I don't want you just to go in for one, you know, I'm not coming in for one day. You just want to tick a box that says, mm. I'm in, I've done drama. But in fact, no teacher is trained after one day to do drama.
0: Is, is there still a case of schools not having? Like specific drama teachers, and perhaps converting English teachers and having them teach drama and thinking uh, that's acceptable
1: that's that's yes, and they don't understand the difference <laughs> <laughs> um and um it's happened a lot recently um since ninety five I think when the advisory service finally you know ceased to exist in the form it used to um, you know the, the number of drama teachers in South Wales must have fallen incredibly there are still good drama teachers working in some mm. schools but some schools there aren't and a, an English teacher will do perhaps one lesson occasionally but of course it's not They they're working from a different premise they're not Exactly. You can't expect them to do what you had when you were working in the slavera.
0: No, because they don't come from that background, no. and they don't come from that experience. And then, as a result of that, young people are going to be turned off from drama, and, and they're going to lose interest.
1: And and they've they've seen a model of drama teaching, which is oh, I know what you do in drama. You give the, you divide them into groups, and it's usually the same size group. It's usually fours or fives. You give them a, a space, and either a word or a stimulus, a topic. Mm. Go away and create something. So all the groups create a little piece of drama, and then you show each other your work. Yeah. And that's the lesson. Well, there's, an, I mean, a really good English teacher that came back to me once and said. We do that, but we don't know what to do next because we don't know how to make their work better. If they give us a poem, we can crit a poem, but Mm. we don't actually have the skills to make their drama work better. Um, And you know, and also drama is fraught with problems for English teachers. You know, you've got an empty space; you haven't got desks to be behind. There's not that sense of there's a sense of it being around. And the other problem is. Just showing your work at the end of a lesson, you know, it's quite important. You know, every group is only interested in their own piece.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm so trying to get the other groups to, to critique that work what, that they've just watched. Yeah. And giving them skills to be able to do that is important. Yeah. It is, because,
1: you know, the, the arts curriculum is, is, you know, divided into three, you know, basically... You're training young people or adults, even to be, you know, a maker of work and then an audience for work and probably a critic for work. Mm. And those three are very different skills the skills you need to be a maker and not necessarily the skills you need to be a performer. Um, and that is, mm, mm. you know, I can, you know, I even with little kids even with seven year olds i know kids who are brilliant at making the work but haven't got any interest in doing it 15 times so they can then show it to an audience i know other kids who love the performance but actually haven't got a clue about invention and creating Mm. the work they are actors yeah And and that's the same with composers and players and and that so, you know, building an arts curriculum that has those three elements, the artist as a maker, as a performer and as a critic, is is vital because otherwise you've just got, oh, get up and do a bit of work, wasn't that fun? Now let's move on to the next bit. And nobody gets any better at it.
0: No, exactly. And it's about the development of those health, which, as you say, isn't in place at the moment. Um, I'm going to move on slightly. Yeah, good, because that seems to have gone. (laughs) I'd like if you wouldn't mind talking about your directing process a little. Um, and and I was wondering, is there any difference in the process whether you're directing a a new play or a classical piece? And how, how aware of you are how aware are you of what your target audience is from the beginning of the process
1: um i'm quite aware. i mean obviously when i i mean when i went to washington to create a piece for three year olds mm. that's very different from working with 15 year olds when we did the shakespeare's for pontadary the ones that toured south yes. wales And it's then very different if you've got an adult audience. So one's aware of that as a process. Um, I'm. I. I think the difference with a new piece is that um, it's usually evolving and creating, and and often with a new piece, my job is not um, to step on the art. The writers, you know, it's the writer's piece. Mm. Um, And although I, I can work on it and we can discuss it and create it, my job is to make that work, to see if it works. And then one can go back and say, well, actually, that's the bit that didn't work or that yeah. working, And that's a different process from, you know, picking up a Shakespeare and working on that. I, um, I mean, I, I always like to know, A, um, the audience I'm working towards, But also, I need to know this. I need to have a very clear idea about the set before I start. I know some directors haven't, couldn't care less about their set. But I, I actually, I actually, like to know the sort of colour and the, not necessarily every detail of the set at that stage, but how the actors will perform within that space. And I think that's probably because I come from a design background originally, and. It helps me firm up what I'm doing
0: would you I've would, got
1: quite a good idea
0: would you tend to do the set design yourself or would you work with a designer I, don't know.
1: I mean the reason I end up doing quite a lot myself is that I come cheap that if you get me you get a set designer as well as a I'd love to work there are endless brilliant set designers out there you know there's another 20 come out of Welsh College every year There's another, and I've worked with people like Ed Thomas. Ed Thomas designed his first set with me. Um, Sean Crowley was in the youth theatre and saw his first model box which was one of mine. Yeah. But um, often the budgets we're working with now are so small and I get a bit fed up with seeing productions that are literally just black boxes. People have come on and mm. grabbed three chairs from the the bar. I actually, if I'm yeah. going to do a show with three chairs, I need to know, well, what chairs are they and what sort of chairs and what do they say? Because I think the design adds a lot to a production. And that that's just my hang-ups. I, I, I just know that's the way I work. Um, when I work with Lighthouse, there's this, I, they're always a bit shocked that I, I start talking about costume and things because they they really prefer it to be very low-key. And then I think I sit back and I think as a director, I've always loved, I don't know if you know the Peter Brook comment, he was asked what do you need to be a good director? And Peter Brook said, you need a very low boredom threshold. Mine's about 30 seconds. Right. Um, (laughs) And I think I've got a very low boredom threshold. Perhaps not 30 seconds. But I, there's a bit of me as I sit there, I know when I stop listening to an actor or a, a bit of dialogue. And a lot of my directing is to say, why have, we, why have I stopped listening to you there? What can we do to make the audience listen to that sentence? And how many different ways can you put something into that little paragraph so yeah. that the audience stays listening to you? Is it not go on to, or actors have a, a habit going on to autopilot.
0: Is and it about it, making sure that level doesn't drop? Uh, no. um,
1: and um, that's by giving it a different, you know, looking at pace, looking at motivation, looking at different things, mm. spacing on the stage, just all the time. How do we make this work? Which, another way of saying how do we make that work is to say... How do we keep the audience from going to sleep? Yeah. (laughs) It's very, very easy just to let it all wash over you.
0: But I suppose quite a lot of that is in the writing. And if the writing... Well, it
1: does help. Yes, I can see you'd like to feel you had a contribution to that. But even the best writing, (laughs) you do have to make sure that within one speech, you know, there is variety and
0: things that aren't in the writing. Yeah. But need the actor's skills
1: of, how do I, what do I do on this line to make them notice that word, which I think is important. And the actor, the writer may not have thought that word was the most important in that sentence. Yeah. But the actor has decided that's the one they want them to concentrate on. That's really and, interesting. And that's the process. I mean, we haven't worked together. It's going to be interesting when we yeah. work together. Um, but, that's all the time. How how do we make this work? What are we trying to say? How does the audience know what we're trying to say? And, mm. that, and then ask that question, why are you walking at that moment across the stage? Why aren't you standing still? Those sort of questions keep the piece alive.
0: Do you try and question everything, every line? Give, give yeah. a reason behind every line? Okay. Um,
1: Yes. I mean, I wouldn't say every line. There are a few lines you're trying to hide and (laughs) push into the background. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yes, I mean, it's it's very much if someone's paying good money to sit there, then every line should be part of their experience. And therefore, you don't want the audience just to think they know what's coming. You want to surprise the audience lull them into a sense that, that oh i know where this is going oh no it's not yeah. i'm going somewhere else oh something else is happening and that process just keeps the process alive mm-hmm. um particularly i mean we're so used to you know most theater is on they see they don't see much theater anymore anybody They're, i mean nothing since march but even before that with a lot of young writers or writers who go to script slams, their experience isn't of theatre, it's of TV. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of pieces of what are sent in as theatre, they have no... They're really pieces that could transfer exactly onto the TV's with very little changes. Um, They're not exploiting what theatre can do, which has got nothing to do with, you know, what one might call soap
0: writing. Because a lot of theatre is about what we don't see what we don't see on stage yeah. and you know getting the audience to question what haven't we seen what is happening between these scenes mm. and and it's also about dance
1: and set and yes. and and singing and all sorts of other things mm. and, you know I mean look at Enron, that player that was a huge success, which was, you know, the you know the demise of a power company in America. But she had puppets and things like that in it. Mm. There were pterodactyl monsters in the cellar <laughs> and things. It, it lost that sense of realism. Mm. Um, that show, Inc., that was on in the West End a year ago, which was about the birth of the Sun newspaper, I mean, that had all sorts of, it exploited the theatre and our enjoyment Mm. of theatre. And I don't think a lot of writers these days have seen enough possibilities in theatre. They really are looking at radio or TV as where their work may be heard and seen. Mm. Uh And uh, yeah, what, what does that say
0: about, you know, what access they've had to go and watch theatre? Well,
1: exactly. Uh, I mean, you know, there's, you know, where, I mean, nobody's had any access lately, but they they see the big shows, people will go and see the big shows, mm-hmm. but they, you know, it's interesting, isn't it, that National Theatre Live do their really big shows, but they mm-hmm. don't do the small shows in the Cottesloe, the experimental work. They don't do you never see stuff from the royal court
0: because it won't sell.
1: It, no, we, exactly.
0: It, that's <laughs> the only reason that they don't show it because it won't sell to a mass market audience.
1: That's... No, um, and I mean, you know, I did a project. We, um, we we talked to people in the Pontardawe area about what their use of their art centre, and I, I went to a group, and they were lovely. They were um, a community organizer on a bigger estate in Brecon Um. Mm. And once a year they had a huge, you know, they raised money and they all went to the Millennium Centre to see the big musical. Yeah. Because it was a brand and they knew exactly what. And mm. I said, well, you could, you could just go down the road and see a piece of theatre. Oh, oh, but we, we might not like it. We know we're going to like the big show.
0: <laughs> but, but part of going to the theatre is sometimes it's really interesting to see a piece that you absolutely hate. And then you can work out why you don't like it. Yes, and that—that's not—that's
1: really... not, not the way people, you know. And that's why I think a lot of you know one of the things I'm hoping will happen with the changes that the theatres will go. You know, theatre will go to the people.
0: Yeah, you know, it
1: will, it will be the old. You know, that's what Shakespeare did. As soon as the plague set, closed the globe, The theatre, the companies would go on, on, on the road. And they had a patron, and the reason for having a patron, they were the king's men, or the Lord Chamberlain, yeah. men, was because they weren't then considered vagabonds, because vagabonds, you weren't allowed to wander around the country otherwise. <laughs> so you, you weren't a vagabond, you had your lord's name, and yeah. then set up in the inn yard and do three performances, do one in the, for the mayor and his friends in the council chamber mm. in Oxford or somewhere, and the theatre went to them. Whereas expecting people to turn out on a wet November night to see a piece by a young man who nobody's heard of, he's asking a lot of people. Yes. And yes. I, you know, perhaps we're especially if there's something good on the telly, or.
0: And there's things. so, and there's so much good TV on at the moment. Yeah. There's so much. And, and I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not,
1: but I'm not. You know, i I know where
0: I work best is in the theatre. I can, you know, I've always thought that and I'm not a TV director. I'm a theatre director and that makes a difference. I do want to talk about the many lives of Amy Dillon that you've been working on with Lighthouse. Um, what, What attracted you to the story in the first place?
1: Um... Well, she's an intriguing character. I mean, I, I knew very little about Amy Dillwyn when Sonia and Lighthouse asked me, would I come on board? And then the more I found out about her, it, it, she seemed like the sort of character that would be worth spending, you know, two or three months of your life exploring <laughs> and working on. Um, and and she's, she, was so, she had so many different phases in her life. um, which is why we call it The Many Lives of Amy Dillon, that one can work on it. The difficulty with it is that she was a very private woman Mm. and didn't talk about her emotions and didn't, didn't write them in her diaries. So it's finding a way... So again, it's a technical problem. How do we make visible what's actually not said?
0: Is there an element of, like, fictionalising elements well, of her life?
1: that's one of the things which we've we've actually been pushing. What, uh, Sonia would like there to be more fiction in it, I think. Um, not sort of more imaginative reconstruction of what might have been going on in her mind might be a better way.
0: Yes, um, I'd mean, uh, yeah.
1: Whereas I... I found one of the strengths of our first, We did a sort of R&D on it last year. Um, was that we've novels, and they're interesting novels. She's, she was a bestseller in 1880. Uh, I mean, her book on the Rebecca riots was translated into Russian because it was oh. seen as being a supporting the oppressors. Um, not a sort of supporting the oppressed. Supporting
0: oppressors. the oppressed. Um,
1: um, but yeah. he, um, so, but there are. I. She's not. No, she's not the best novelist in the world. So what we? But there's quite. She wrote about things that really interested her. So we've used the words from her novels as if they were our own experiences. And there's quite a lot where you can think, Ah, oh, yes. She's telling yeah. us this is happening to the heroine in the story. But actually, this is something that relates directly to her own life. And and, and her, her, every one of her books has got heroines. And they're feisty and they're girls who stand up for themselves. So you can sort of see what she would have liked to do if she wasn't this rather...
0: Mm. Uh, and do you take, like, elements of what you read in her novels... Does that reflect? Do you think on who she was? Yes, as a that's
1: what we've done. We, I mean, when we, um, there's a section where she talks in the in the diaries, and we know that she looked after her father when her after her mother died. He was an MP, and he did quite a lot of touring on the continent. So she went with him mm. and toured the continent, and she became almost his PA. Oh, Okay. Um, you know, she arranged the dinners mm-hmm. and things like that for people, and, and and there are scenes in a novel where somebody goes abroad and is you know, proud of the fact that she isn't being taken advantage of by these nasty French railway porters and things like that. Now you know that's something that she's done, so we could use that in the stories and things about the way that men have treated her and things like that as well mm.
0: do you enjoy the research stage yes
1: mm. yeah i i i got really into the research i mean to the point where it's quite hard to you know get ri- the, the thing about you know you got to get rid of some of the research sonia would tell you yeah. we haven't got a rid- as rid of enough yet but that's, <laughs> the, that's the job of tomorrow we've got to try and fit in some more stuff without just putting in the research
0: yeah and it's how you use that, feature, I guess, and make it um, dramatically yeah. compatible with what yeah. you're trying to create, I guess. Yes, but best of luck there. I look forward to to seeing what you come up <laughs> with. Is um, so um, your work as a dramatic um. What do you enjoy about this kind of work and what do you think are the difficulties in working with uh, writers?
1: Um, You could probably tell me more about this than I could. (laughs) I I mean, I I think the danger is it becoming my play. If I can Mm. see something happening in it, oh, you could really do this, and then I suddenly think, oh, no, I mustn't, you know, we Mm -hmm. can't do that. It's got to... That dramaturge process is the writer's process. I, mm. can, I can offer possibilities. Have you thought of doing it? What about? Mm. To act as a critical friend. Um, my most... I think I think she'd say this. I mean, I've worked very closely over a period of time with Emily Hinchelwood.
2: Mm. Not on Cracked, because Louise
1: Osborne worked with her as a dramaturg on Cracked. Right. But... Um, on some of them, emily's other shows and we had a system whereby she wrote and once a month emily and i met for coffee Right. and she almost i mean at the beginning it was a bit like oh you're setting me homework for next time yeah but it wasn't yeah. that it was more a question of her coming and saying what do you think of this but then having time to go away and write the the dramaturg mm. process um as I've done, it is that it tends to have to be quite short with working with a couple of actors and exploring, and that's quite a quick process. Um, and I think a longer process might, which we've got if we if we ever get frown to.
0: Oh, we will. I, like, I'm, chasing I'm, the I'm, I'm hoping. So. I'm still really hoping that we will. Yeah.
1: Um. So I mean, that's that's the, the real fact. Um, and and again, it's possibly as a dramaturg suggesting other ways that the play might get away from realistic drama. I mean, I I love plays that aren't realistic. Mm. I mean, um, Emily, we, she wanted to do a piece. I think she still does, but it, it's got lost in other things. Um, she, was, she was involved in the setting up of a wind farm and there was a huge inquiry because it went to Cardiff about whether the wind farm could actually be set up.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, and so she had about a year of meetings and protests and everything about this process of setting up a wind farm. And we were trying to make this into a play. Um, and I said, and she was saying, well, the only time that my husband and I talk about it is in bed because that's the only time we get, because everything else has been taken over. And I said, well, why don't we set the whole play in so, your bed uh, with the, the, the chairman of the inquiry sort of appearing over the top of the bed? Or, mm. uh, you know, some of the protesters lift the bed up and <laughs> literally move the bed and and, and, and in, involve it in something that's not real. So and, um, and it came a long way, but it never quite got to the point where the script... Work. So we, we left it and went on for something else. Do, do you, that, that suggestion of possibilities for theatricality, mm. I think is something which is one of the roles I can act as a dramaturg. Uh,
0: and, and getting away to, to yes. realise those theatrical possibilities. Yes. And maybe mo- moving away from...
1: work on stage, then it's
0: difficult. Mm, moving away from naturalism and, you know, sometimes showing a dramatist or a, a to playwright that it doesn't have to be naturalistic all the time and theatre provides these possibilities that maybe they haven't taken advantage of yet. Um, so, y- you... In terms of working on King of the Sky, which was another piece that you worked on, Uh, I'm particularly interested in the process of working with Nicola Davis, who wrote the original book, to create the adaptation. Um, What was our process of adapting the book like?
1: It's quite different. I mean, I've done several adaptations of children's books. Um, I mean, Witch Child, which I did with Tonya Smith, was... um, you know a 300 page novel right um, whereas king of the sky is a picture book and all picture books are 24 page long and you know <laughs> little bits of text and the pictures mean as much as the text so the process with nicola was very different from the process with celia reese's witch child um the interesting thing was that was that we had to fill in a lot of the background the book you just see a single picture the family has arrived in South Wales from Italy and they've opened a cafe well you hardly see the family after that but we needed a family so when the actors and I and Nicola worked we actually the story became a bigger story because we were we had a you know 45 minutes of story for a, a book that actually could be read in less than 10 minutes probably, if you just read straight through.
0: So, you need to so we
1: actually, it was the... about the background. Um, and also, I mean, Nicola's a musician as well, we wanted music in it. Yeah. And so we, and I wanted puppets, and we wanted film. So it was about the kernel of the story was there, and so we didn't lose the kernel of the story. Um, but there was all this work which allowed the audience, which were young you know, they were infants, it was an infant book and it was going to be an infant story. Although, actually, the grown ups at Hay, when we did it at the Hay Festival, yeah. I think the grown ups enjoyed it as much as the, the youngsters, but there was a lot more story the relationship between the mother and father became important partly because the two actors were good and they, they began to create a story which then Nicola and I saw and we, we used as part of the, the play. The mother um, having a different relationship to settling into a new place compared with the father um, and it became a, a different story which was actually, you know, a different art form. It, it worked very well in the end, mm. but it, it, wasn't, it wasn't quite the book anymore. It, right. was, it was the book plus.
0: And, and managing the author's expectations, was she happy with what came of it?
1: Yes, well, she was there throughout, so we right. couldn't do anything without her saying yes to and she was writing lots of bits and and we would say, um, oh these this mum and dad here need a few words because all you said is that he comes home feeling miserable. Yeah. We we've got to actually do that. Mm. Um and then she she would go away at night and come back the next morning with the pieces. I mean when I did Witch Child with Tonya, we didn't have the writer with us. And we got very worried that we were cutting stuff. And... Um, um, the arrangement there was: we did a couple of performances the first year, um, which Celia was invited to, and she came and saw them. And if she'd hated what we'd done, we said we wouldn't do it again. We know it would never go yeah. further than the room. And that was a, a different process. It turned out we we got we it was such a long. I mean, it was an an hour and a half with one woman showing the witch child, and there was a whole section which I cut. With thinking, oh dear, I'm going to get in terrible trouble. Mm. Celia's going to hate me if I cut it. It turned out it was a section that she'd only written because the publishers wanted the novel to be longer. And the fact that I'd seen yeah. I could take the whole section out just mm. confirmed her suspicions that it was just an be in- <laughs> <not anything. coughs> um, Yeah. And And um, but we, you know, it's it it is a it's a it helped on both those occasions I think, Witch Child and this one and on when I've done the adaptations of Hans Anderson and Lewis Carroll because we're talking about theatre we've got music, we've also got you know, possibly you know, with the Amy Dillman show and with um, Witch Child it was only one woman on stage Mm. and you know so we've got, you know, we've got to find ways of making it work with one person.
0: and, and there's the
1: paid 40 people, I think, by the end of the show.
0: And there are tools that you can use in order to do that in theatre, that you can't use in a in, in, you know, picture book or a novel. There, there's a different toolbox. And there's that game to. that you're playing with the audience. Yeah. I mean, yeah. um,
1: we, the, the, the audience turn up ready to play the game. I am going to. I know you're only an actor, but I am going to imagine that you really are this person. I mean, with Amy Dillwyn, Sonia changed her costume on stage five times. We had five different costumes, and she literally um, changed the costume on stage. No one seemed to mind. Nobody said, Why didn't you go off stage to do that? If you went, if she'd gone off stage,
0: that would have broken the, the, the game.
1: Yeah, and
0: it's, I think. Been by I think people buy that because it is theatre, and you yeah. know, that, that's one of the reasons that theatre works. You know. with King of the Sky, how much were you trying to replicate, kind of visually, what the book looked like? Because. We.
1: We did. We used. We didn't. A lot. We we used the book which had lovely pictures. mind you the the, um, the first time we did it we didn't the book hadn't been published yet, so we oh, didn't right. know God, um, Lara Colin who did the pictures, um, she um she was brought in quite late in the process and, and, and was negotiating extra pages for extra
2: pictures. Mm-hmm.
1: Um I mean there the biggest thing was that we needed to create a cafe on stage. And we also needed a journey from Italy because, with young kids, the idea of going all the way to Italy or coming here as an immigrant, you know, to set up a new life yeah. in in Wales was um, um, difficult for them to get. So I thought we needed the journey. So we 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 got a group of young primary school kids who had a brilliant art teacher to do. Um, they made some little cartoon films the journey yeah and we saw the pigeon literally flying, <laughs> and we saw the train going across yeah. Europe um and then when we got to the cafe my my concept from the beginning was well we're going on a journey suitcases and i know james scandal and other people will say every show derek does has a suitcase in it um, but we had um um they arrived with suitcases. I think there were seventeen different sized suitcases on the stage. Wow! And everything—the whole set was made from suitcases. And one of the one of the suitcases literally opened up, and out of the suitcase came the door of the cafe. Out of mm. another suitcase came the table, you know, and the, the cups and the saucers. So the cafe was literally created on the stage out of the suitcases, yeah, oh, and fantastic. that, um is the way I like to work, that, you know, you're, you're playing a game and the audience is... They loved it when the door appeared and people were walking in and out <laughs> of the door, that they'd just seen created yeah. on stage. Whereas if, if a door had appeared from the flies or had been just been pushed it's off, not it,
0: it wouldn't have element of no. play. No. Yeah, like you said, that element of play and discovery is lost. If you yeah. have every... Of course it's about resources, but if you have everything there, you don't have that element of disco that you do have with what you described, with what you did with King of the Sky. Like, you just don't have that. No. Um, my final question uh, is, what advice would you give to someone who is just starting out in the industry? Oh.
1: I I would hesitate with with, with the situation Mm. it is. I feel really sorry for people. Um, Although I think think there's a few things I'd have said. One is um, you need to be organized, I think. You need to have a... If your life is chaotic, then your professional life will end up being chaotic as well. And I don't think you can have two lots. Being a freelancer, which most people are in the yeah. industry, um, that's chaotic enough, not knowing whether the job is going to be next week. Have I got a job in future? Where can I find them? That whole thing. So you need a reasonably settled, calm life. The people who've made a success in the business, I think, are those who know where they are are not all over the place. Don't, I'm um, prima donnas. Don't suddenly come with crises left, right, and centre, which affects yeah. their work. They just get on and do the job. And I mean, the other thing is, say yes to things. Don't say no because yeah. <laughs> you never know what the next job. If I've, I, I'm slightly strange because I had settled jobs up to when I was fifty. Right. I, I, I was working for a local authority. I had a salary. Yeah. Of those. Suddenly, at 50, I became freelance. I mean, suddenly, you <laughs> had to adapt later. Most people do it the other way around. They do freelance for five, ten years. They decide they need an income and come and get and go into something else. Um, and i realized that you, 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 you have to juggle if you're given two jobs and it's at the same time. You just have to say yes.
0: You have to just and do work, it. you know, yeah.
1: the evening and the night before mm. to get it up. And um, from one job, you know, the next job comes. and um, mm. You know, um, and, and don't sort of say no to things just because you don't fancy them very much. Just get on and yeah. do it.
0: Because then, it might lead to something else.
1: Or somebody says, I yeah. know that. I mean, uh, you're a writer and I always remember the... Um, uh, uh, Matt Snow, who used to edit um, Mojo and those magazines, did a workshop for me when I ran the Year of Literature's community program on being a critic. And he was talking about he said just every time you go and see a gig, send off a review of it to the big papers. The N- well, not the NME or is it or Mojo? Just send a little review. They won't even notice you, but they'll be there, they'll come in. And he said, one of these days, their stringer won't be able to do a gig and you're somewhere near and the actor yeah. will think, I tell you what, that guy's there, let's see whether he'll have it or yeah. That girl yeah. always keeps on bothering yeah. me. Yeah. And out of that, he said, I've got some really good people <laughs> that he's gone on and written. Yeah. He said, you know, if you nobody's going to give you a job. If they don't know you're there, exactly. the only way they know you're there is if you you've done a job and you've done it well mm. and you have made people's lives easy and not caused a fuss, yes, and not made the director's life hassle because you you know you you stood on your high horse about something. Mm. Um, I mean, you know that was always a big thing with um, when I was working on with, you know, No Divas. Was a good. <laughs> it does help. It does yeah.
0: help a lot. Thank you for your time, Derek. It's been fantastic.
1: That's okay. I mean, I'm sure I went on a lot too long <laughs> on some
0: things and bored people, but I'm sure some of it you can rescue if you work hard on the editing. Okay. I think it might be an easier job than you think. Um, thank you for listening to this episode of In Lockdown with. I will be back next week with another episode. For now, it's fine for me. So, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of In Lockdown With. The podcast is written, produced, and curated by me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Thank you to all my guests for taking the time to appear on the show. If you enjoyed this episode of In Lockdown With, please consider liking or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I'll see you next time for another interview.